Aw Yeah Comics celebrates and promotes everything that is wonderful about comics, toys, artwork, and the joy they bring to people. Visit them in person at one of their three locations, Harrison, New York, which happens to be my local comic shop, Skokie, Illinois, or Muncie, Indiana. If you have children and have been looking for a family-friendly store, look no further. Join Aw Yeah for exciting events, including creator signings, how-tos, and more. Visit awyeahcomics.com and follow Aw Yeah on social media for more. Their name says exactly how they feel about it. Say it with me. Aw yeah. Acme Comics is a locally owned and operated full-service comic book store in Greensboro, North Carolina for people of all ages and walks of life. Now in its 40th year, this multiple-time Eisner Award nominee features a significant contemporary and vintage back-issue selection. As the Acme team uses their collective knowledge and resources, to connect you with the best material. Mail order subscriptions to new releases are available, and all offerings are available anywhere via mail order. Follow Acme on social media and eBay, listen to the Acme cast on all podcast services, and visit acmecomics.com for much more. Fat Moose Comics is New Jersey's best and oldest comic book store. Established in 1982 and under new ownership since 2020, Moose sells a wide selection of new and old comics from every publisher, action figures, graphic novels, posters, statues, and more. If you're looking for something and they don't have it, they can probably get it for you. They know a guy. Visit Fat Moose in Whippany, New Jersey the next time you're in the Garden State. And be sure to reach out via the Fat Moose Comics Facebook page. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the pre-show. We're doing things a little bit differently this week. Shortly, we will dive into our main segment on Superman's Secret Identity by Kurt Busiek and Stuart Eminen. My guest for that is novelist and comic book writer Alex Segura. But first, I'm joined by returning guest, sweet, sweet Bernie Gersmeyer, to help me discuss DC Comics Presents number 87, which introduced Superboy Prime. Welcome back. Good evening. I've never been a part of the pregame show. This is exciting. We've never really had a pregame show, so this is <laughs> this is doing something a little bit different, but I thought it would be fun. I thought that this would be a nice way to tee up the discussion with Alex by talking about the introduction of Superboy Prime, and you and I were just talking off mic. Neither of us, despite our lengthy tenures as Superman fans, <laughs> neither <laughs> of us had ever read DC Comics Presents number 87, which came out in 1985. Uh, by Elliot S. Magan and Kurt Swan. So this was a first for both of us. Yeah, I think I've had this book in my collection for probably 20 years. Like I found it, I was like, oh, it's I mean, it was a, it's a sought after book. It's not a valuable book, but it's not a easy one to find anymore. But uh, yeah, I was so excited. And it's, I also, it was exciting to bring it out and see it's in really good condition. So I, I think I need to, <laughs> need to, to take care of it. <laughs> Yeah, I know. That was so cool. I know you held it up before we started. So I was just reading the digital version, so I don't have it physically, yeah. but that's cool that you that you do. And yeah, this was it was really kind of fascinating to finally read it, especially in conjunction with Superman Secret Identity. So before we fully dive in the pre pre game yeah. show, <laughs> let me just share <laughs> because we're recording this shortly before this will drop. So this is pretty timely. So I just guested on Always Hold On to Smallville hosted by Zach Moore, and we covered Doomsday the season eight finale. And uh, yeah, I heard it was a long one. <laughs> yeah. Zach was like, this is the longest one I've ever recorded. And I was like, I don't know if I should be proud, embarrassed, but we had a lot to say. So for any Smallville fans who are listening to this, <laughs> I highly encourage you to check out always hold on to Smallville generally. And especially this, 
Doomsday episode. For 14 years, Bernie, 14 years, this finale has haunted me. <laughs> and finally, I got to say everything I needed to say. And Zach and I were very much on the same page, very much on the same wavelength. And we had a very thorough discussion and it proved to be quite cathartic. So I really, I can't sure. recommend it enough. I hope everyone will check it out. <laughs> when does that come out? It's out, baby. Oh, it just came out. Good. Okay. Yeah, it's, that's available. So anyone who wants to check that out. And actually, while we're on the subject of guest appearances on other podcasts, let me do a quick rundown because I have recorded slash and booked for a number of other guest spots on other shows. And let me give the rundown now so people can keep an ear out for all of those. So I did an episode of Spider-Man Book Club hosted by J.J. Hodges. We talked about a portion of the J. Michael Straczynski run on Amazing. Uh, so that will be coming out a little bit down the line. Uh, another one still to come with J.J. for one of his other shows, Four Comics Junkies. We talked about Superman versus the Elite, that animated movie that oh, adapted yeah. Action 775. Have you yeah. rewatched it recently? Because it held up great. I haven't. I haven't recently. Is it? I mean, does it rewatch well? Because I saw it when it first came out. I watched it on, I guess, with Blu-ray or DVD. But I haven't seen it in a long time. Yes, it held up great. I had only watched it when it first came out, and so this was a yeah. great opportunity, a reason to revisit it, and it was great. So I hope oh, nice. people keep an, an eye out for that. I also just recorded an episode of the And Why Not podcast. They're doing like a Summer of Superman thing, and we talked about Superman Returns. So appropriate, since you and I did a whole two-hour extravaganza on Superman Returns. So it was nice, you know, quite some time later to now go back and revisit it and talk about it again. So that's coming down the line as well. Nice. And my buddy Tyler Patrick, who hosts the Krypton Report podcast, he's been on here a bunch of times. I did an episode of his show that will come out a, a little bit later where we watched and discussed the 1990 Flash TV pilot, which I had never seen. Oh, that's that's fun, actually. It was really fun. It was a lot of fun. I'm yeah. glad I watched it and we had a really good talk about it. But yeah, I, it was a great, again, just it provided a great reason and motivation and opportunity to finally watch this thing. Yeah. So that's coming up for the Krypton Report. And then finally, I will be on the Night of the Batman podcast a little bit down the line. We'll be talking about Batman Adventures number 25, which was a Superman-Batman team-up issue. So I appreciate all these invitations. <laughs> it's been a very full dance card, but I appreciate it. And it's always great to connect with fellow podcasters, fellow Superman fans, fans of other characters. And uh, I hope people will, will keep an eye out for those. Awesome. Sounds cool. All right, one more bit of business, Bernie, and then I promise we will talk about Superboy Prime's debut. So I was interviewed, among many others, <laughs> for oh. uh, Voices from Krypton. So this is the forthcoming oral history of Superman written by Ed Gross, who's been on the show before. We talked about yeah. uh, whatever happened to the Man of Tomorrow at the beginning of this year. And man, it's, it's, it's kind of trippy because on, on one of the pages, I'm quoted right underneath Brandon Routh. And it's nuts. So it was, it was so cool. I was so honored to be included in that. It's it's a massive, it's a massive volume. I mean, the number yeah. of interviews he conducted with Superman actors, directors, writers, comics creators, fellow fans and podcasters. He was quite thorough and, again, honored to be included in that. And so that's coming out on June 6th, and you can pre-order that on Amazon or wherever books are sold. And nice. I've posted this on social media, but I want to mention it on the show proper here that I am going to be giving away a free copy of this book to one of our lucky audience members. And all you have to do to enter for a chance to win this free copy is leave a review on Apple Podcasts of Digging for Kryptonite, 
another exciting episode in the adventures of Superman and or summoning the Zords, and you'll be entered in a chance to win. I'll do the drawing sometime after Memorial Day before the book actually comes out. So if you've already left a review, I very much appreciate it. And you'll be included as well. It's not just new ones, but uh, I'm really trying to hopefully spur some people to take that step and leave a review. It's funny because like over the years, a lot of times I've kind of framed it and thought about it in terms of the reviews help in terms of the algorithm and the show getting recommended. And it may or may not. I, I honestly don't know. I think that's always been kind of a moving target in that sense. But I do know when I'm thinking about listening to a new show, I will go and look at the reviews. So if you enjoy this show <laughs> and you want to help kind of, you know, make it attractive to other potential new listeners, that's a great, quick, free, easy way to do it. And I would very much appreciate it. And it enters you in a chance to win this book. So again, thank you to everyone who already has. And for those who haven't, I hope you will do so. And stay tuned for the drawing of the winner of Voices from Krypton. All right. DC Comics Presents. So again, you had never read this before. Obviously, you've read because I know you followed Infinite Crisis and, and very, you know, subsequent stories that featured Superboy Prime, but this was the first time actually reading the, the origin. Yeah. And, um, I mean, I've read through Crisis on Infinite Earths. I know the history of all that. But then this, there's a number of stories from the Justice League America and the other DC books at the time that went through. Like, like we, we have DC Comics Presents. We got Superman books. They all had that crisis crossover which was so cool um but i just never gotten a chance to read this one and again when i was reading then i didn't have this book in my collection and it was one of those like holes in the database like, oh i found it awesome and i put it in there and i was happy and i loved the cover and, and all was good but i never read it it's funny because i wonder how many other fellow fans who followed the journey of superboy prime especially starting with his return and in infinite crisis and his villainous turn and all of that how many similarly have never read that debut issue? I imagine it's probably quite quite a bunch. Well, and there's a lot of things in here that I didn't understand. I didn't I didn't know of the backstory of the Earth Prime Superboy and how he became Superboy, like who he was, who his parents were. Really, for that matter, I didn't really remember clear enough when I was reading this how Earth Prime is different than the ones that we know. Gotcha. And as much as we have a whole hour-long discussion still to come on Superman's secret identity, are you familiar with that story? Yes. Okay. It's just been a while. Yeah. Gotcha. So in Kurt Busiek's introduction to the, the collected edition, he talks about how he was so inspired by DC Comics Presents number 87, this idea of a person named Clark Kent who exists on, quote-unquote, the real world, right, in Earth where... Superman and all these other characters are only known in the pages of comic books. Right. And obviously the story that unfolds in Superman's secret identity follows a very different path. And we follow this character over his entire life's journey through his life and career and, and, and home life and all of that. But kind of the, that, that foundation, right. The, that's something that both stories share and it does, I think create a lot of interesting avenues to pursue and, and more so in secret identity because we really kind of settle in. I mean, this DC comics presents 87 issue. I mean, it's just, it's one issue. So there's only yeah. so much real estate there and it's bifurcated. So we get in the first half of the story, uh, our Superman uh, in the midst right. of crisis on infinite earths, it picks up with him mourning the death of Kara Zor-El 
And right. he is blasted by these aliens in a spaceship onto Earth Prime, where he encounters Superboy Prime. And they have a little adventure together. And then the second half of the issue shows us the origin of Superman, of Superboy Prime. So there's a lot of ground right. that's covered in a very, very short amount of space. Yeah, I was actually going back and forth, like wondering which one, like it was kind of neat how they told the continuity story of Superman and then the origin. But I wondered, like, how it would have been if they started with that and then bridged the gap into and now in the current Superman title. But it was I just I really enjoyed it. And I, it was also a really nice throwback to read that style again and to see that style again. For sure. It was also, you know, for people who are kind of dialed into what we're doing on the podcast and what we're going to be doing on the podcast, a nice precursor of things to come, because I've already announced our big Red Skies event where we'll be looking at all the crisis level events and you will be joining me for Crisis on Infinite Earths. So we will be looking at the next major instance where this character appeared. So I'm glad we're, we read it and I'm glad we're talking about it now. I think that will lend itself well to the conversation we're going to have, you know, a, a month from now or so. And then even further down the line, just to kind of give a little bit more of a forecast of what's to come <laughs> next year, as long promised, I know for quite some time now, I've been talking about dedicated Superboy coverage and that's coming and that's coming. And that will take a variety of forms because we have a number of different Superboys and Superboy Prime, for better or worse, is one of them. So we'll be taking kind of a harder look, a closer look at this character. But as a starting point, this was great to just kind of finally get this background on where this character came from. Because even for me, like I think, I know we'll talk about this more when we when we get to Crisis, but I suspect you have more of an attachment to and more of a familiarity with Crisis on Infinite Earths. I've only read it a couple of times in my reading career, and it never I've never had the level of attachment to it that I've had to Infinite Crisis, for example. So even in reading Crisis and meeting Superboy Prime, it never really, again, had as much of an impact on me. Well, it's kind of funny, and we're going to talk about this when we, when we actually go through. Crisis on Infinite Earths came out when I was 10. So I didn't really know much about it until like you always knew as a fan in the nineties, there are those maxi series, those big like event things that happen in the DC universe. And I always knew about it. I was, I remember going with my brother to a comic book show in New Jersey and Wayne. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I found crisis number 12. I found though also one with the flash dying. Oh, look, the Supergirl cover. And I was super excited about that, but I didn't, I didn't read. I hadn't read the original Crisis until actually I read Infinite Crisis. So that was the first time I went back and actually read all of Christ on Infinite Earths. And I'm I'm excited to read it again because I will tell you, I did not enjoy the last time I read it. Interesting. So I'm really I'm really excited to go through it again and pick it apart a little bit more. Oh yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. I hope the audience is as well. This is going to be a really fun run of episodes. As far as this debut issue of Superboy Prime, we can get more specific, but I guess just big picture, how did knowing where his story ultimately goes uh -huh. color the way you took in this debut? Oh my gosh, you get more sad. Because really, Clark Kent, as we know, was just a regular kid who is then endowed these powers and if you look down his storyline, he, he ultimately just goes nuts. And I think it's also, it's part of the isolation factor that he had to deal with being trapped there. Um, 
seeing doppelgangers and seeing how he believed Connor, you know, was taking for granted what he had. And then just it's it's a hard ending. And and even if you read the what is it? The Legion of Three Worlds. I think that's the five parter. That's a hard one, too. When they even when they imprisoned him with the Green Lantern Corps. But it's um, it's a very sweet origin tale. And he's very kind hearted and you see like his his growing up. But yeah, it, it makes it more sad actually knowing his origin. It, it does because obviously his villainous turn was not intended right. with this story or with Crisis on Infinite Earths. So it's not like there are necessarily seeds planted here where you look at him, oh, okay, I could see why he loses it down the line, right? He's just a good good kid <laughs> right? Who who discovers he has these powers. But yeah, it was fascinating to view this in contrast to what he ultimately becomes, as well as to the Superman secret identity story, which again, really is its own thing, but was inspired by this and by this idea. And we talk about this more later in the episode, but in Secret Identity, we're never really given a a hard definitive answer on how that Clark Kent has his powers, but he's not Kryptonian like Superboy Prime is. It's just one of the, the closest we get is this theory that there were meteor strikes and that imbued him with these powers. And another big departure is that in Secret Identity, it, he never really comes around to, uh, <laughs> or I guess maybe eventually, but for, for, for most of his life, especially his early life and, and you know, high school years and then early career, uh, you know, is, is the object of ridicule for having the name Clark Kent in a world where people yeah. know Clark Kent to be the Superman uh, comic book character. Whereas here, and it was really interesting in DC Comics Presents, this Clark kind of learns to roll with it to the point where when he and his friends are all heading out, he's dressed up in a Superman costume. And there's even a yeah. caption that says like, whether it's acne or, or like any other, anything else, uh, you know, as a kid, like you just kind of learn to adjust and adapt and, and roll with it. And so, uh, it was just kind of interesting, especially in contrast to the secret identity story. As we were pregnant with our second, uh, before we knew it was going to be a girl, we had batted around names and, Clark Kent Gersmeyer came up and, and my wife was like, Bernie, we, we can't do that to a kid. <laughs> like her, she herself said that. So I did have her convinced that we were going to do Caleb Elliot. So we would have the K and Kit and Caleb for Cal and then the L for Elliot. So, but it turned out to be Lana. Nice. And you've got a little crypto in the background there. <laughs> actually. Yeah. I'm sorry. Is that, okay. is that, is it a lot? That's quite all right. Um, that's actually Shelby. Um, our dog named after Clark's dog on Smallville. <laughs> no, I love it. I love it. No, we, no, that's the thing. It's like, we thought about that too. And not that, not that a comic book name was ever in consideration, but look, my last name's Desiato. It's a little bit of a mouthful. I've uh, had many instances of people butchering the pronunciation. So it's like, I wouldn't want to saddle him with an overly long name or similarly difficult to pronounce name. So, you know, we landed on Milo. All right, short, there you go. <laughs> short, sweet. People can say it. <laughs> So, although it's funny because, you know, he's still, you know, he's not even four yet. So when people ask him, like, what's your name? And he's like, Mayo. And people are like, Miles, Michael, like they're, they're not quite understanding him, but we're getting there anyway. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so it was just kind of interesting. Those were two big areas where, you know, it certainly diverged from what, what Busick and Eminem did in that other story. But I guess one of the things that I get, cause, you know, it's funny, I was thinking about this because I'm sure in, 
stories either during or after the Infinite Crisis period. I'm sure we got flashbacks to his his Earth and we got more stuff filled in. It's just been a long time, so I didn't remember. But the fact that we open on Krypton and we, we learn he is Kryptonian, I again right. I guess I I guess I knew that, but I it wasn't top of mind. So as I was reading this, I was like, oh okay. So in this version of the story, which is kind of odd. So it's like it's, I don't know how this really tracks. Oh wait, help me sort this out here. So on Earth Prime, there was a Krypton that exploded, and this boy right. was sent to Earth and adopted by the Kent family. But but also in this world, there are comic book stories of a Superman who was sent to Earth from Krypton. Right. Yeah. All right. So also, if he's Kryptonian, don't don't doesn't the the whole yellow sun thing still apply? And like why wouldn't he have powers? I guess that's what I was confused by. And as, as, as I was reading this, I don't know. That's the thing. Cause like, there's this whole bit about <coughs> right before, right before his powers kick in and he takes off. Yeah. We know that, we know that things are kind of wonky because of crisis. There's also Haley's comet. That's, that's going to be passing by. Right. So as I was yeah. reading it, I was like, Oh, is that one of the factors that's jump starting this? But then, yeah. Why weren't they already in effect? I don't know. Well, and if they didn't do the origin story in the second part of the book that says, yes, he is definitely Kryptonian, it, it could have just been a fluke. They could have made Superman coming to Earth Prime somehow because it's, I don't know, I mean, they could have just made it whatever they wanted to make it, Anthony, but, but they then made it where like, no, he is Kryptonian. They like doubled down. It's like, but wouldn't that mean <laughs> so as i was reading it i was going i'm just gonna have to just go with it and roll with it and just say i don't understand why this is but it was still cute even when he's dressed as clark kent for halloween or over the party i guess and then he's like pretending he can fly and then he falls down but then at the very end he does it and he actually gets lifted up and he flies into the sky and Lori, Lori the mermaid yeah um yeah which was a really nice touch there um She's looking up going, wait, he actually flew. Clark Kent can fly. Yeah, Lori Lemon. Lori Lemon. Lori Lemon. It was interesting to the the opening of the of the origin portion where we are in very familiar territory with Jor-El telling the council that Krypton is doomed. But here, this was a funny, a funny wrinkle where they believe him, but they're also not quite ready to to jump into action to follow the plans he's laid out because he and Lara have this whole teleportation device and plan in mind. Right. But it requires swift action, and the politicians on the council are not quite ready to move that fast. But it was just – it was interesting. It's like this poor guy still hits a roadblock. It's just in a little bit yeah. of a different form this time. Yeah, usually they, they think you're nuts, Jarrell. We're not, we're not going to believe you. But now, now, now they're like you're not nuts – but we're just going to drag our feet and wait till the planet just explodes. Yeah. And, you know, to further add to the tragedy here, he would have been able, Jorel would have been able to get the entire family through. But after they send yeah. baby Kal-El, then Councilman Durkin or whoever that was uh, interferes. Yeah. And for some reason thinks he knows how to control this device and <laughs> clearly yeah. doesn't. And, and it all goes yeah, horribly like awry. He's using, he's using all the terminology. Like he understands the science or like, bro, you're like, you're like a congressman, basically. That's all you are. Well, you know what? <laughs> In light of <laughs> current events, I that's actually pretty believable. So yeah, that's true. So again, the the broad strokes of 
of the that portion of the origin story, you know, kind of essentially hold th- hold true. And so uh, Kal-El is not rocketed, but is rather teleported yeah. to Earth where he meets the, you know, the Kent family. And it's funny because as the parents are talking about naming, yeah. they do talk about this whole, like, how, how could you saddle a kid with Clark Kent, which is her, her maiden name, just as in the, yep. in the regular continuity. And she's like, well, I always knew I wanted to name my child Clark before I knew I was going to marry someone named Kent. So fair enough. Uh, and she's like, oh, and I knew someone in school named Pete Moss. And he was <laughs> this great student and everything. So <laughs> Pete Moss. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just a fun book. And it's a great a great throwback to the Bronze Age, too. It's another we've talked about that, too. It just it it screams Bronze Age, which I know is a, is a sweet spot for you, sweet, sweet Bernie. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Yeah. So, again, as opposed to Secret Identity, where so much of that first issue and even the second issue is about him getting all of these Superman gifts that he doesn't want and being teased for having this name yet not having the powers. You get just kind of like little glimpses, but you can see in this, you know, there's a panel where Clark skins his elbow playing playing football yeah. or baseball or something. And one of the kids is like, oh, look at that. Like, I can't believe, you know, your skin's supposed to be impervious. It's like yeah, you the can boy s- of steel. That's what it was. The boy of steel. Can't yes. Even. And, but so you you see where Busick was able to you know kind of look at the the bones of the story and then extrapolate from there. So it was it was cool to see that. But yeah, I mean this this Clark kind of learns to roll with it pretty quickly. Wears the Halloween costume to the party and then yeah, you know is able to take off. And then you know that kind of brings us to the beginning of the story where he meets our Superman. And you know initially Superman's pretty quick to just kind of say, "Good luck, I gotta go." <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> which is kind of weird, too. You'd think he'd want to help out this kid that clearly doesn't know how to use his powers. It's not He's flying upside down next to him. So it's like, you'd think he'd stay. He's like, no, 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 I got, I got a bolt. Ugh, now I got to deal with this kid. That's, that was the, the tone that kind of came off. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And he had, uh, and again, you, you might know this far better than I, but, uh, you know, he, like Superman knew this Earth. He knew Earth Prime. He knew that he was only a fictional character here, so... I don't know. Had there? Do you remember? Like, had there been stories where he goes to Earth Prime before? I'm sure there are. I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, yeah. Are we? Are you okay? Are you dragging a little bit? I got a lag all of a sudden. Oh no! I mean, everything's looking okay on on my end. So. Oh good. We'll just okay, roll with it. Didn't, so I just want- all right. Um, yeah. Off the top of my head, I'll have to go. I'll have to do a deep dive after this. But I don't. I can't remember any issues where he does visit Earth Prime. But I'm sure somebody out there has been like, no, Bernie, you dummy. Yeah, of course you did. <laughs> but yeah, no, don't don't call Bernie a dummy, but let us know. <laughs> uh, as as I get further into this uh, upcoming crisis event, I'm sure I'll, I'll find my answer. But yeah, off the top of my head, I, I don't yeah. know either. But, uh, but yeah, the world is familiar to our Superman. And ultimately, he's unable to get back to his Earth. So he sticks around and uh, helps Superboy Prime deal with a tidal wave. Superboy Prime uh, sees alien ships and is quick to assume that they are invaders and Superman sets them straight. He's like, no, they're tourists. Like they come here, they, uh, they're able to, you know, alter their appearance. They blend in, they buy, what was it? Golf clubs and like photocopy machines or something. Yeah. It's weird. Yes. Uh, but then Superboy does ultimately find other aliens who are up to nefarious purposes. They're going to tra- they're going to transfer, you know, nuclear weapons to, to their home planet yeah. for this intergalactic conflict. And uh, Superboy initially gets captured. Superman helps and they're able to, uh, over overthrow them but there is this brief moment where after superboy is freed he's like all right let's get out of here and superman's like hey 
I know you haven't sworn to do this yet, but basically this is your planet to protect. So again, yeah. a brief moment, but it sets up the, you know, this idea that he'll use the powers and in, in, in the same way as Superman in theory. Yeah. I'd be curious to talk to someone. I've got a, a limbs. Maybe you can, you know, somebody too, that was maybe, maybe like early twenties or 25 when they first read this book or this era and then to fast forward to, inf- you know, to Infinite Crisis and to see like that arc. Because, I mean, the, the Superboy of the Bronze Age and even through this story is just very kindhearted and sweet and kind of innocent in a way. And then to see that change happen, I'd be so curious to hear from somebody whether they were frustrated like at the, at the end of his arc. That is a great question. I also wonder... Because again, this was just one issue. Like clearly it made a huge impact on Kurt Busiek and inspired this later story, which right. again, it's it's crazy how Superman's Secret Identity came out in 2004. So we're like right before Infinite Crisis. So he was <laughs> really ahead of the game there. But I, I also would be curious for, for fans generally, did people have, you know, did people have an attachment to this character? Did people have a strong memory yeah. of this character? So I, I would be curious to hear that. Because again, for me, I, you know, I knew of the character having read Crisis on Infinite Earths, but like I said, it wasn't something that really stayed with me so much. So there was enough familiarity when I saw him in Infinite Crisis. I was like, oh, okay. But it's funny, like I knew him more as one of the quartet that gets sent off to this paradise at the end of Crisis on Infinite right. Earths. So I knew him more as as part of the collective, more so than I did, oh, that's Superboy Prime. And ultimately the one that is frustrated by the imprisonment eventually and punches his way through. And well, and he does a which, lot of punching before that, where he <laughs> alters reality. Yes, he does. Yeah, he does. Yes, but, he does. <laughs> you know, and we could talk about this more when we do our crisis episode, and I'm sure this will come up when I do my infinite crisis episode. But <clears throat> yeah. man, you know, I get it. You know, because you think about it, these four are sent to this, what's meant to be quote unquote heaven, but it's just yeah. the four of them. And at least Superman and Lois have each other. Great. But for Alexander Luther and Superboy Prime, they're just stuck here just watching everything unfolding. So the idea that they would snap, I get it. Yeah, I agree. And it's, and time didn't move. They didn't, nobody aged. That's how Lois, that's why Lois is okay. I mean, but yeah, I I don't, I hate to say this, but I don't blame the kid. Like. No, I, I listen, I, I agree. Uh, so anyway, we'll, we'll talk more about that. And then yeah. the last thing I suppose is that at the end of this story, and I guess this was a little bit of a surprise too. I didn't know what, what angle they would take, but Superman and Superboy just fly back to, to his house and just reveal that he has these powers. And then Superman's like, yeah. I need him for this conflict. And they're off. Yeah. It's like, you're now a superhero. Let's go. Yeah, which once again, just to tie this back to the larger main thrust of our episode here, a a massive point of distinction between this and Secret Identity, where in that story, really literally the only person he tells explicitly that he has these powers is Lois. Even his own children, he ultimately allows them to learn by leaving his manuscript out on the table, but it's not something that he sits down and has a conversation with them about. So again, a lot of distinctions and, and not surprisingly, but it was just kind of fascinating to look at these two stories hand in hand. And then after the Superman and Superboy fly off, Superboy's like suck through he's a portal. Pulled. Yeah, he's pulled away, right. and, you know, for his story to continue in crisis. But yeah, yeah, man, at long last, we got this piece of backstory that I guess we had only yeah. ever 
I mean, you own the issue and I've seen the issue yep. on the app and elsewhere, but it's like, you know, now we actually were able to fill in that little gap. And I'm sure, you know, like I consider myself a heavy collector, but not to the point where, I mean, this is a f- almost a 40 year old book. I'm obviously very careful. I mean, I, but I read the book. I held it carefully. And I put it on the table. The pages are white, pristine still. Like it's, it's probably a 9.6, but I was going through really carefully. The colors are gorgeous. But there was that awesome, like mid 80s newspaper smell. Do you know what I mean? Oh, I know. Like it just, man, like it's like, oh, it's just like, it felt like I was reading history. In a sense, it was really, really cool, and and not not to poop on anybody that likes to reading digitally. I know that we do that, but there's something sometimes lost in there. But I was I had to be super careful to make sure I was reading it and also not damaging it and hurting the collectible itself. Oh man, I, I think about that all the time. My wife and I were actually just talking about that recently because I was like, you know, there are certain things that I just I don't own physically and. Right. I like reading digitally and space is an issue. So it, it totally makes sense. And, and even something like this, you know, it pops on the screen and is really crisp yeah. and colorful and it, and, and it's all great, but yeah, there, there is something to be sell, said for that, that tangible aspect, the smell, you know, we, we all know that yeah. smell. So no, I can identify with that, but I will say it read great on the app. So it is on the app and it was also nice. collected in that Superboy 75 year celebration hardcover. Right. Yes. I, um, now that I've actually read it, I'll probably get it graded. I, I probably will slab this one. It's just, and it's in great condition. It's just such a cool cover. And I love the DC Comics present line in general. And I, I have no idea offhand what this, what this tends to go for on, on eBay or anything like well, that. But this isn't, it's not, it's about a $30 book right now. Yeah. It's not super high. But again, sometimes you slab books also just to keep them special and saved and, and nothing happens to them. Gotcha. Last question for you slash the audience. So if nothing comes to mind, that's totally fine. But I put this out here for the audience as well. So, you know, my my memory and my knowledge of Superboy Prime certainly, you know, really kicks in with Infinite Crisis and his role in the Sinestro Corps War and Legion of Three Worlds, which you had referenced. Beyond that, offhand, I, I'm hard-pressed to think of specific instances where I know he had a big role, Blackest Night maybe, but I, I really don't remember specifically. Are there things that come to your mind? Nothing past that, actually. No, I think he kind of goes off the map once uh, Sinestro Core War is done. All right. So, audience, I will pose that question to you. If there are other <clears throat> Superboy Prime stories you recommend I check out, especially keeping in mind where we're going on this podcast, because there will be at least an episode, at least an episode on Superboy Prime and and his overall journey. But this is just kind of the, the beginning point in that. So, Bernie, thank you very much for joining me for this pre-show here. Yeah, man, that was fun. All right, and now our main episode of Digging for Kryptonite. Thank you to all members of my Patreon community for supporting this podcast. If you like what you hear and are not a member yet, please consider signing up today at patreon.com slash anthonydesiato. We offer a variety of monthly reward tiers and discounted annual memberships are available too. Beginning at the $1 level, you can listen to Digging for Justice, my exclusive DC movie rewatch podcast. Click the link in the show notes for more. If you're looking for other ways to support the show, leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcast goes a long way and only takes a second. You're also welcome to join the conversation on social media via the links in the show notes. Last but not least, we are an affiliate of BCW Supplies, so the next time you need to restock on comic book bags, boards, boxes, and more, 
be sure to use promo code FSP to save 10% on your order. That's FSP for Flat Squirrel Productions. It helps support the show too. Thank you. Filmmakers and movie fans alike should be sure to attend these film festivals. Brightside Tavern in Jersey City, Hang On to Your Shorts in Asbury Park, Point Lookout on Long Island, and In the Cut in Bloomfield, New Jersey. On a personal note, my short film, By Spoon, The J. Mizell Story, played at these fests, so I know firsthand what fun and well-run events they are. Submission information for filmmakers, as well as details about the festivals, can be found at filmfreeway.com. Follow the festivals on social media for news about events, discounts, tickets, and more. Also, listen to the Hang On To Your Shorts and Cullen On Film podcasts, available via a shared universe network. 30 years ago, I stood in front of a comic shop advertising the death of Superman in its window display. That moment outside Heroes World set me on a path, a lifelong fan journey leading directly from that tattered red cape to this podcast. Now, together, we mine Superman's vast 85-year mythology by examining, discovering, and reconsidering the stories that have shaped the last son of Krypton. Welcome to Digging for Kryptonite, a Superman fan journey. I'm your host, Anthony Desiato. Joining me to discuss Superman Secret Identity by Kurt Busiek and Stuart Immonen is award-winning novelist and comic book writer Alex Segura. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. This is going to be a lot of fun. I'm, I've been looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm so happy to connect with you. We met, I think it was back when you were working at Archie. So it was going back yeah. a few years and we've had a few social media interactions over the years but this is the first sustained conversation <laughs> that you and I'll have. Yeah, no, I mean, I've, I'm excited to chat about this book, which you know we were just chatting about in the uh, pre-show. But it's 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 a, f- a fun fun story, and yeah, it, it's it's great to have like a lengthier conversation. I feel like we always see each other in passing. Yes, no, this will be great. I appreciate you taking the time, and as much as I said this off mic, let me say it on the record as well. I just want to congratulate you on your award-winning novel. Secret Identity. Oh, awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that was, it's, it's been a great ride. I, the response has been so good. And it's just, it's ironic too, that we're talking about a book called Secret Identity. It's the one Secret Identity interview that is not my book. So it's, um, and Kurt um, Busiek was actually super helpful. He was a reader. He read the book before it was published. He read a, like a late galley and he gave me some great notes and advice. Like there's so many pros that gave feedback on the novel that I'm really grateful to. And um, I thanked a lot of them in my LA times acceptance speech, like just creators that worked in comics in the seventies and could kind of give me details that I wouldn't understand having not been born in the seventies. But, uh, Kurt in particular gave some really great insights and I appreciate, I really value his time. So that's awesome. Now I'm sure you've given the elevator pitch for your novel, probably about a billion mm-hmm. times at this point, but if you, <laughs> I'm happy to do it, if you don't mind, and especially for the digging for kryptonite audience, I mean, this is an audience of comic book fans of Superman fans, and I suspect that the setting in particular will be of, of interest to them. Yeah, for sure. So Secret Identity is a story of Carmen Valdez, who's a queer Cuban-American woman that moves from Miami, her hometown, to New York City in, 19, in the 1970s to work in comics. That's her dream. She grew up reading comics. She learned to read English reading comics, and she's passionate about the medium. So she gets a job at kind of a third-rate publisher called Triumph Comics. And um, if Marvel and DC are A-level, Triumph is B or C-level. Um, and she's the secretary to the publisher of this kind of blowhard-type character called Jeffrey Carlyle. Um, but she sees it as a stepping stone to writing. And so she pitches him scripts and ideas, and 
eventually he says, look, I don't have time for this anymore. I, I, I don't, I have friends I have to keep paid. I have to other ideas for you. So please stop pitching me stories. And so Carmen despondent, like returns to her home, her apartment, and is just kind of wondering what to do next. When um, a colleague named Harvey, who's an associate editor at the company, tells her that Carlisle has given him an assignment to launch a new female superhero in the Triumph superhero universe. Um, but he knows she's a fan and he knows that she's passionate. He knows that she's been pitching stories. Um, so he wants to work with her. And Harvey's like her only friend at the job. Like they're like the cigarette buddies. They go and have a smoke together. They're not like best pals, but they have some bond. And so she sees like her dream right in front of her to write comics. The only hitch is she has to do it anonymously. So they work on the character over the weekend. They come up with this character called the legendary links, which is a street level kind of daredevil spider woman type hero. Um, very much inspired by the cat, you know, a Marvel, a Marvel hero and a lot of other influences, but they create this character and Monday morning comes around and she can't really get in touch with Harvey, but she finds that he's turned in six scripts with his name on them alone. Um, and she also discovers that the scripts have been sent to this artist named Doug Detmer, who's a kind of a legend, but also a curmudgeon and very challenging artist who's hopped around and is basically on his last go round. you know, no company will hire him, even though he's like super talented, he's very difficult. But um, then Carmen learns that Harvey's been murdered. And nobody knows she's worked on this character. Nobody knows that she's basically put a piece of her soul into this character. Um, and like you and I know, in comics, like the creators don't work on the character indefinitely, you know, you, you work on it, and then there's creative changes, especially in work for hire comics. So she knows very well that at some point, the keys to the car will be handed to somebody else. And so she realizes that she has to solve her friend's murder to kind of reclaim this character and interspose interpo inter inter you know interstitial chapters in the book are just of the comic so you're reading carmen's adventure in prose and then you can read some of the link stuff in in comic book form and sandy gerald who's amazing and has done a lot of work uh at dc and at archie uh did the artwork and really did a fantastic job of like evoking the 70s without making it seem like he was imitating anyone in particular so it doesn't seem like Oh, he's imitating Gene Colan or Frank Miller. Like it's Sandy, but it's very much in the fil through the filter of like the '70s, which I think he did a, a hell of a job. Awesome. Well, I encourage everyone to check it out, and they can buy it wherever books are sold. So, yep. segueing into Superman: Secret Identity. So <laughs> this is the 2004 miniseries, uh, four-parter, each uh, about 50-page prestige format issue, mm -hmm. and the setting is. The real world, a world where Superman and other superheroes only exist within the pages of a comic book. And so we follow this young man whose family name is Kent and whose parents thought it would be hilarious to name their son Clark. <laughs> this young man who has the name Clark Kent and all of the ridicule and teasing that comes with it. And then finds during his teenage years that he actually has the powers of Superman. And so it unfolds from there. So I guess just as a starting point. When did you first experience this and how often, if at all, have you revisited it? How has your relationship with the work changed? Maybe that could be our, our launching point. Yeah, that's a great, great question. And it's funny because before the show, we were chatting and realizing that we both, I, I mean, I, I must have read parts of it like before, but this was the first time I sat down and read it from beginning to end in a sitting. Um, and But I always was aware of it because Stuart Immonen was on the Superman books for a long time. I think a lot of people forget that, you know, he did so much stuff at Marvel, like Spider-Man and X-Men and next wave. But, um, before that he was a DC staple and he did a lot of stuff. I think it was adventures of Superman was the main book he was on. Um, 
And his style has evolved a great deal. But I remember really recognizing Stewart's artwork and just being, I loved his art even then. I thought he had a clean line. I thought he, his uh, storytelling was really strong. And I thought, you know, you could look at it and you would know it's a Stuart imminent drawing. Um, and so I think early, I think I was aware of it when it came out, which 2004, I, I had just, just gone back home to Miami after working at Wizard. So I was still keeping up with comics and reviewing comics for my local paper. Um, and I've always been a fan of Kurt. I think Kurt has, like Mark Wade and a few other contemporaries, he has the ability to boil down a character's essence, you know, in the way that like Wade did um, Wally West or Kurt did the, you know, did um, the Justice League, uh, the, the Avengers, I'm sorry. You know, he just boils the characters down to their essence. And one thing Kurt does that, that I've, I've noticed, and I actually brought it up to him on social media, is that he... There was a time before, you know, with the Golden Age and the Silver Age, there would be different iterations that didn't necessarily, like, lead into each other. So you have, like, Barry Allen reading about Jay Garrick, and he did this with Aquaman, and obviously he's done it most notably with Batman and Superman, but he's basically creating the next generation of these characters, where there's some slight connective tissue to the source material, but it's a new version, it's a clean version, it's not marred by continuity, um, and I was always fascinated by, by how he did that. And I think it's just his passion for the medium and his ability to, to really kind of see what makes the characters work. And because, you know, it's a different Clark Kent, it's a different Bruce, it's a different Arthur, but they are in their hearts, what makes those characters tick and what makes them interesting. And I found that fascinating. So on rereading it or kind of fully reading it for the first time, I was really amazed at how just how deftly he did that. And um, the team is really like all-star top to bottom. It's Kurt, it's Stuart Eminen, it's Todd Klein on letters. Um, it's really, I think it's still an underrated masterpiece. It, it is. And it really taps into the humanity of the character we're following. To your point, it's not the Superman, our Superman. This is, again, a person in the quote-unquote real world with the name Clark Kent and the powers of Superman who operates in a Superman costume in secret and continues his life and career and, and, and family life and all of that. But it, it is very emotionally resonant. And I was reflecting on my own experience with this. Weirdly, I don't believe I read this as it was coming out. And that's odd because I'm a lifelong Superman fan and I was yeah. following all of the Superman books. But it might have been because I knew this was an out-of-continuity thing. Although even that doesn't totally answer it because I was no stranger to Elseworlds. But I was the same. Yeah, I was the same. T I, you know, as a reader, as I'm sorry to interrupt you, but as a reader, I was always like, not as into Elseworlds and team-up books for whatever reason because they felt like outside of the main narrative. So I can totally relate to that as a fan. But now it's like, is it good? That's the decider. Exactly. So for whatever reason, I this... I kind of passed this by as it was coming out, but I do remember reading and I still have my, the same collected edition. Uh, so I remember nice. buying and reading that I think pretty shortly after it came out. Cause I heard such amazing things about it. And I remember reading it and I've talked about this period of time in my reading history before, but this was, you know, there were a few things coming out around this time, you know, Gotham central is another example or identity crisis. There were a number of things where again, as a, as a high schooler who had mostly been reading the Triangle Era Superman comics and loving them, and I've gone back to them recently, and I still love them, and they're wonderful, but I was seeing through this and other stories different ways that the characters can be presented and explored and just different kinds of storytelling in this medium. And so this one does hold a special place for me because it kind of falls in that category. And I remember reading it as a kid and being like, wow, this is different. This is different. I'm connecting with this in a different way than anything else yeah. that I was reading. Weirdly, though, just as I can't explain why I didn't read it as it was coming out, I never really went back to this 
in, in, huh. in all the years since. And I couldn't tell you why it sat on my shelf. It's made it through multiple moves, you know, being boxed and unboxed and shelved and reshelved. And I, yeah. this was the first time in many, many years that I actually sat down and read it again. That's wild. Yeah. I, I would love to hear, I mean, cause I'm blanking on it, but what was going on in the main Superman books when this came out? Like, you know, one of the things that not to cross into Marvel, but like Spidey 2099 means a lot to me because it was like the best Spider-Man book of that time. Like you have the clone saga going on and that was fine, but it was very confusing. So I'm curious, like how this stands out in contrast to what the mainline Superman books were doing. So 2004, this might not totally line up, but Jeff Loeb and Joe Kelly and that whole crew, they had uh, been on the super titles for a while. I believe by the time this was coming out, Loeb was probably done and had segued over to Superman, Batman, but Joe Kelly had stayed mm-hmm. on for a little while. And I don't know that we were quite yet at Superman for tomorrow, but like, that's the general, it's like kind of the general right. time frame I think that we're talking about. Okay. Yeah. So this, um, I mean, it, this, some good stuff happening, but this, this would stand out in a, an interesting way. So one of the things that I kept going back to, I was thinking about it and listening to it as I was reading this. Uh, it was the Five for Fighting song, A Hundred Years. Hmm. And Five for Fighting, we have a little bit of a connection here because the title of this podcast is Digging for Kryptonite, which of course comes right. from the, the Superman song. And w- which song of theirs is is more iconic, Superman or A Hundred Years? I think they, you know, maybe a little bit of a toss up between the two of them. But A Hundred Years is this beautiful song, and I'm sure everyone has heard it, whether, you know, <laughs> you could think of it instantly or not. But Telling the story of a life and sort of checking in at at various ages along the way, 15 and 22 and 33 and 46 and 67. And uh, it's a really beautiful song. And it's one of those songs that you get something different out of it, I think, every time you go back and listen to it. And I started listening to that as a teenager. So, you know, 15 and 22, that's kind of what I was thinking of. And now I'm a little it's a little disconcerting now because I'm at the point in the song I'm past 33 and the next age in the song <laughs> wiser is wiser now. Yeah. I think the, yeah. <laughs> and, but I think the next one in the song is 45 and you're heading into a crisis and I'm like, Oh, that it doesn't sound so good. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's not that bad. I'm 43. It's okay. All right. All right. <laughs> It'll be good. It'll be all right. But it made yeah. me, it made me think of this because I think one of the beautiful things about this story is that you get to see this character's life unfold. You follow him from a teenager in Pickettsville, Kansas, akin to Smallville. Uh, yeah. Then as a young man starting his career, falling in love in, in I was going to say Metropolis in Manhattan. <laughs> uh, yeah. Then you follow him as a new father. And then in our concluding chapter as, as an older man whose children are grown. Yeah. And so it, that, that was kind of what I, what I was thinking as I was, as I was reading this. I mean, what we can get as, you know, we can definitely get more specific, but just kind of the broad strokes of this, which aspects or which chapters uh, resonated most with you? Um, you know, I loved it all. And I don't mean to be just a gushing fanboy about it, but I thought it was really, I think what Kurt does really well is, like I said, he boils down the character, but he gets to the heart of the character. You know, he gets in their heads really well. And Clark's narration in particular feels really genuine and human. Um, I really gravitated towards the second chapter. Like I found the first chapter interesting. Um, I think through the filter of like Smallville and stuff like that, it was, it's still unique, but it felt, you know, it, it didn't feel as different, you know, because we've kind of lived in that space before, but um, I love the stuff about him falling in love with, and, and, and without spoiling anything, you know, I, I think you can figure out who he falls in love with, but um, it's also, okay. We can spoil. It's been out for 20 yeah, years. I mean, it's all right. Yeah. Falling in love with Lois, but also his, you know, working in the big city. I think I find that really relatable, like just ha- as someone who moved to New York and 
that's kind of where my career started and met my wife and things like that. And so um, I found that really well-crafted and human. And I think um, what I love about the book is that it's just based on character and it kind of plays with familiarity, like things you assume that are going to happen, like Kurt tweaks them in a way that makes them more interesting, which kind of keeps bringing me back to that idea that it's almost like this would have been like a relaunch of Superman if we still had those eras where like there were gaps of time and you didn't have to have like, you know, 80 years of continuity. You could restart Superman almost, you know, like it's really like what probably earth one should have been, you know, it's just like a clean relaunch of the character. Um, no offense to anyone that worked on those books, but it's, it's more, um, I just, I'm fascinated by how Kurt makes his writing choices because I think he does a great job of finding interesting ways to play with the tropes and the elements of the character. But, um, in terms of resonance, chapter two was the one that spoke to me the most. And I think across the board, this, this may be the best art of Stewart's DC time. Like, I think he really like reached the peak here before and i think this may have been the last thing he did for dc before he moved on to maybe shock rockets which was i was shock rockets around the same time or was it before i don't know yeah i don't know offhand but you know recently on the podcast we covered and it was my first time reading it another one of those ones where it's like how did i never read this it's it's a fascinating process going through all of it but his um his end of the century graphic novel which i don't know if you ever super end of the century again Mm -hmm. it was one of those ones i think it kind of fell through the cracks, not just for me, but generally, because it was right as Loeb and Kelly were taking over and there was some shuffling and, and, and all of that. Right. But but he he wrote and drew that and it's I mean, it's just gorgeous. It's just gorgeous to yeah. look at. It's amazing. Uh, and, and similarly here, I mean, I thought of you the most, of course, when the Clark of the story starts publishing books and, and yeah. you know, developing that part of his career. And I was like, oh man, this is, you know, to be perfect for Alex. So yeah, no, it was so cool. It was so neat. And um it's so funny to kind of immerse myself in this book. You know, we obviously, his book and my book share a title and there's some thematic connections, but it's, you know, also Kurt is a big Stephen King fan from just from knowing him and seeing what he posts online. And Stephen King does that. It's not really a trope, but a lot of his characters are writers because it's interesting to, you know, the curiosity is there and they make for great protagonists. But um, I saw a little bit of that while reading too. That was interesting. I'll say for myself what was fascinating, akin to the song that I was just talking about. When I read this the first time, the Smallville chapter certainly resonated the most. I was a little bit past mm. where Clark was at that time, but still close enough. Uh, I, I can't say I ever really felt like an outsider to the extent that that this character did. And, and I had a great high school mm-hmm. experience, and it's so, but but still, you know, we all have those moments where you feel a little out of place and you're finding yourself. So, yeah. you know, that always resonates. And and as a huge fan of the television show Smallville and that time in the character's life, I always gravitate towards that. So the first time around, it was cool seeing that. And then reading the the second chapter, especially where he's falling in love, you know, I hadn't experienced that yet. I was, I was hoping for something like that, right? And so th- yeah. those chapters really resonated the most with me. And then fatherhood and, and sort of the later stages of his life, I still enjoyed those pieces, but it just, it was so far in the distance as yeah. I was reading this in 2004. Now, as I read it, that second chapter means so much more because now I've come out the other side. I found my Lois right. and happily married. And so I, I look at the beginning stages of their relationship and, uh, you know, of course, he continues to get teased uh, for having the name Clark Kent and uh, they set him up with this woman named Lois who has experienced something similar many times, but they're able to bond over that and they get to know each other. And so it was amazing. And then now as a new father, that chapter and the lengths that Clark goes, 
you know, the lengths that Clark goes to, you know, striking this deal with the government basically to get them off his back and off his family's back. And in exchange, he'll essentially do missions for them, right? And, and kind of be at their call. But the upshot of that is he misses the birth of his daughters. He can hear it. He can hear them being born with his super hearing, but he can't physically yeah. be there because of this deal that he made to do whatever it takes to protect them. And of course, I'm, you know, I'm reading that and it's just like, it just, it hits, it hits so close to home that that last chapter still feels kind of far off, but, but definitely yeah, more. No, definitely the, yeah. the parenthood chapter. I mean, it's something I think about a lot as a creator and as a, obviously as a dad, you know, like, what am I doing to help these two creatures that I've brought into the world, or at least had a hand in bringing into the world? Like, am I doing everything I can to make the world safe for them or make them safe and healthy and happy? Um, so emotionally, that chapter really spoke to me. I think two and three were the ones that really, probably like you, I, I'm, I think, I don't know how old your kids are, mine are seven and four. So three. they're, yeah, so they're close, but it's like, it's, it's a lot of, you almost watch everything. You want to make, you, you, you want to protect them, but you also want them to experience life. And so um, that was intense. And I thought Kurt did a really, you know, Kurt just does a magnificent job of making these characters feel three-dimensional and not, not just like comic book, you know, not just like plot devices, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. No, the, the, the fatherhood chapter in particular, and I've talked about being a dad and how it's changed my perspective on a lot of these episodes and, and I get misty eyed and all that, but it, yeah. but it, but it's true. And, and I know, you know, you, you identify with that and you're living through it yourself. And just this idea, cause I think about it all the time. It's like, I, there is no deal I wouldn't make. There's nothing I wouldn't do right for my son. Yeah. And so, you know, seeing the lengths that he goes through uh, in this, it, it definitely rang true. So we've talked about the narration and sort of the this lifetime journey that we go on with the character, which, you know, in terms of scope and in terms of the the extent to which it lets us into the mind of Clark, uh, I think those are those are two aspects that really stand out. And I think I don't know that we're breaking any new ground there. I think when you often people talk about this or, or write about this work, those are things that really are at mm -hmm. the forefront. But rereading this made me think a lot about Superman for all seasons in terms of yeah. this again, more intimate, personal, human look at the character that's lushly illustrated and, and really emotionally resonant, but major distinctions as well. And we've covered Superman for all seasons, but there you had, you, you had this great look at the character through the, per, through the perspectives of others, right? So you have chapters right. narrated by Pa and Lois and Lex and Lana. So you're seeing how these characters see him and it's, it's, it's eye-opening, but you're not really spending time in Clark's head. And you do also have this four-chapter approach, but it's four seasons in the first year of the character. Right. So here, similarly, four chapters, but told over an entire life. This is, you know, it's funny. When we talk about anything that we're covering here, sometimes I bump into stuff that I feel maybe wasn't well executed. That's not mm -hmm. the case here. Other times, it's just that I wanted something different. I wanted the story to be yeah. something different, or I just didn't agree with the choice. And that's, you know, that it is what it is. No, you can admire like something that is professionally done and executed well that maybe is not what you wanted as a reader, which is okay. And so I think this was, and it took me a while to figure out what my problem was as I was rereading this because there was there was like a little something. And I was like, what is it? And it finally came to me. And yeah, thinking what is about it? I'm curious. For all seasons, I guess, and maybe I'm splitting hairs and it's really not that much of a distinction and I shouldn't think about it too much, but I guess I would have in my heart preferred a, a Superman secret identity story that wasn't this other version of Clark, but if it had just been the Clark Kent, the Superman that oh. we know, sort of like a spiritual companion or spiritual sequel to For All Seasons, where we're in 
you know, the real Clark's mind and following his story. Because this whole idea of looking at the entirety of his life is is really fascinating. Um, but I guess yeah. there was that little bit of distance there. And I had to keep reminding myself, especially, you know, this Clark, again, does not become a public-facing hero, a symbol of hope. That's not his journey. And I had to keep right. reminding myself, well, yeah, it's not Superman. <laughs> so I think that's yeah. kind of what I would have wanted. But it's that's not the story that was being taught. Get it. Yeah, no, that's interesting because I think that may have been part of the reason I I, I didn't immediately dive into the book when it came out. But I also kind of came to appreciate the meta of it all. Like you see the little interludes with actual Superman comics beginning each chapter, which I thought was really well crafted. And I love the wink nod of it all, you know, because that's kind of the stuff I write too. Like Secret Identity is woke. My Secret Identity weaves through actual comic book history. So. You know, I joke that if you squint closely enough, you know, you think the links existed. You think this stuff happened. Um, and I really love how Kurt uses his knowledge of the mythos to create this story. And no, it's not Superman, but it is a Superman. And I think it's what's fascinating is how, you know, he wasn't raised by Ma and Pa Kent, but he did have the same kind of ethics and morals that the Superman we love has. And it's 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 just an interesting. I I see it as just like an alternate Earth. Like it, it happened on an alternate Earth. Um, in the same way, I'm I'm sure you know people that like this book will probably like the Batman version, Creature of the Night, um, where it's it's a different kind of take on Batman. But it's the themes and the emotional stuff are there. You know the big the big beats of the character are there. So it felt it felt pretty true to me, and I kind of like the dressing of the uh, winking and nodding meta stuff. But I get what you're saying, 100. percent No, but I again I, that's totally fair and. I don't know him personally, so it feels weird to call him Kurt, but Kurt talks in his, it's either an introduction or an afterword, depending on whether you're looking at the soft cover or the new deluxe edition, but he talks about being so inspired by DC Comics Presents number 87, which introduced Superboy Prime. And of course, we know the journey that Superboy Prime would would go on to have in the comics, but that hadn't happened yet at this point. And Mm -hmm. I mean, I do think whether you're going back to that that pre-crisis issue or this story, it is really a fascinating idea to look at a character with this name or without, but especially with the name Clark Kent in a world where everyone knows the character Clark, because that does put a whole different spin on it. And, you know, you really do feel for this, you know, for this young kid where he is kind of made to be this outsider by virtue of his name. And, and, you know, he gets picked on at school and then that continues even when he's an adult work, you know, working in the city. Um, but yeah. you know he doesn't have initially. He, you know he doesn't have the powers. He doesn't have that escape. He doesn't have the friend group. You know that was the, well, heartbreaking when he talks about. It. It's like I don't. It's not that I want the powers, but it's I want the Pete Ross and the Lana Lang. Like you know he's. Yeah. You know he's in that, that tough hard. spot, and it's so. And the other thing too is I think a lot of times when we look at these superhero stories, especially the the tellings of the origin, sometimes like you know you kind of wonder like oh why didn't the character the character do this or do that and you have to remind yourself well this is a world where it's not such an automatic, right? Because it doesn't exist. But here it opens up this whole other avenue. Well, if you have these powers, there is actually a template out there, you know, for what you, what you might potentially do. So it really is, I mean, it really is fascinating. And so I guess in my mind, uh, while no, it's not the Superman, it is a a Superman story and really a Superboy Prime-esque, you know, take. And and maybe that's more the, what I should keep in mind. Yeah. Pre-crisis, pre-infinite crisis, Superboy Prime. (laughs) So we have a few questions from uh, one of our patrons here, and I want to oh, sure. uh, bring them in. And uh, one in particular that I think, uh, you know, that was of particular interest, and I'd be really curious to get your take on this. So this is from uh, one of our patrons, Brian Dempsey. He says, okay. as Superman fans, I think we can all agree that it's not Clark's powers that make him who he is, but how he was raised. The Clark Kent of this story 
uh, didn't get the same upbringing. He's not directly inspired by Superman. He's not a fan of the character. I mean, quite the opposite effect. Yeah. Uh, and kept his power secret, even from his parents. Um, absent these items, do you feel the story delivered a strong enough motivation for this Clark to do the right thing? Brian says, I'm not necessarily saying the story didn't, just trying to stimulate some discussion. <laughs> yeah, I think it did. I think what was most interesting to me is that this Clark doesn't have the same linear origin. You know, he doesn't have the mom, Pa Kent, but he obviously has that desire to do the right thing. He just does it in a different way. He does have a strong sense of right and wrong, and he uses that um, to kind of guide him. And I found that really fascinating. It's, I, I would say it's probably not as stark as Clark, you know, the Superman has, but I think that made it more interesting because it's like you're, you're taking this like alternate path and seeing this this uh, alternate Superman. Um, so I, I was cool with that. And I didn't feel like, I didn't feel like I was um, being misled or, or that it wasn't like earned, you know? Yeah, that's, that's fair. I think he makes his first save. He's been, you know, he discovered his powers and he's been flying and, you know, enjoying the freedom that comes with that. And even one of the things I liked about the story, even before the powers, he likes being by himself. He likes being in nature. He goes on these long hikes. There's this, mm -hmm privacy right that he craves even before this and that continues throughout the whole story and right. he's flying around and there's a town that's been flooded and everyone's in danger and you know he sees someone who would die but for clark intervening right. and so he does and it's just kind of an, an automatic so yeah i mean i think it's yeah it's not it, it's not as explicit there aren't moments where his parents are instilling lessons in him or we're getting these kind of morals but you know you get the sense he's been raised by you know good people and he has these yeah uh, you know, th these values, but it was, it was sad, this idea that he didn't share this with his parents. Uh, again, mm. such a contrast to what we think of with the Superman, where the upbringing with Mon Pa, the time on the farm, you know, those are the people yeah. he, he can confide in. And there was recently, I rewatched an episode of Lois and Clark, the new adventures of Superman, the the first, temp, the first Tempest episode where, you know, they mm. go back in time and Lois finds out that he's Superman and they have this whole conversation in the car. And she's like, I'm like, I, I, you were all alone. Like she's feeling sorry for him. And he's like, well, no, I wasn't alone. Like I had my parents. And so yeah. this Clark didn't even have that. It was, it was, it was sad. Yeah, it was sad. I, I agree with you. And I think I, what I appreciate, though, about what Curtin and Stewart did with this book is that they didn't just default to uh, saying that realistic, quote unquote, a more realistic Superman meant a more gritty Superman. Like he lives in a very a world very similar to our own, where Superman exists as a pop culture thing and he's gaining these powers. And I thought Kurt handled it really well in terms of the narrative that it just felt realistic. It didn't feel grim dark or needlessly violent or you know like the boys where it's like an extreme hyper violent take and I'll, i think a lot of people have tried to do that with superman or versions of superman and it doesn't i don't find it as compelling i found this really compelling because it felt very lived in and real and so the parent thing just felt like like a choice like you know the superman from i guess the main earth has a great relationship with his parents and this superman has a good one, but also not good enough to like entrust them with that. And it is kind of sad, but it also felt really real because I think, you know, we all have different relationships with our parents. Some people have great relationships, some have mixed relationships, and this felt pretty genuine. That that I don't I don't disagree with that. The the thing that was was a little bit too hard for me to buy, although I had to had to come to terms with this <laughs> in another area recently too, with Superman and Lois, the TV show, the idea that that Clark doesn't tell his kids, his daughters. I mean, they're grown women, but and eventually he leaves out his manuscript that he's written, his his journal right. essentially, and that's his way of letting them know. But 
there had never been this explicit conversation that I can do these things and I go out in secret in this costume. And that was one of the things I love the Superman and Lois show. I love it. But I remember watching the pilot and as much as it blew me away and won me over, that was still one of the things where it's like, I, cause I don't know. I mean, especially now having a kid and just yeah. even, even putting aside, should you tell them or not the idea of living in the same house? <laughs> like, yeah. How would they not know? They yeah. Know? <laughs> I know. Like, probably, oh, dad's yeah, just flying away. Probably being a little, uh, a little nitpicky there, but that's one thing. It's just like, I can't imagine just the practicalities of that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's also like, you know, Spider-Man would have to tell his daughter that he's Spider-Man because he's like sneaking out the window every couple hours. Yeah. But to your point, I do think this is incredibly realistic. And that actually points to one of Brian's other questions. And I'll toss mm. this to you first. If you discovered you had Superman's powers, what is the first thing you would do? Who would you tell? Who wouldn't you tell? And why? Who would I tell? I'd probably tell, I would tell my wife and kind of figure out like, what does this mean? Like, and, and why? Um, yeah, I, I probably wouldn't tell my friends right away. I would, I would probably follow a similar trajectory to the Clark in this story, except I'm married and have a, a partner. So because it could affect you in so many ways, affect your children, affect your livelihood, affect your safety, and then I would, I would probably do good deeds or super heroic acts if I could, but I would do them under the cover of a, a, a secret Superman, probably similar to this story. That's maybe, maybe that's why it resonated because it felt so real and lived in like something that a real person would do as opposed to like, well, let me put on this superhero costume and fly around and like t- take all the acclaim. Like I, I would be fine just doing the good deeds and not necessarily reaping the credits from it. I know. I think that's ultimately where I land too. And it's one of those things where, although it's funny, I was thinking about this last night. I'm like, you probably do a podcast about having powers, but, <laughs> but um, no, I mean, it, it's like, I, I, yeah, I would tell my wife, I tell my parents and that would yeah. probably be it, at least for now. I tell my son when he got older, but yeah, I tell my kids when they got older and didn't like repeat everything they heard. Yes. <laughs> I recently got my son Hungry Hungry Hippos and he's been telling everyone oh, he nice. sees that he has it. So it's like, yeah, you gotta be, <laughs> gotta be careful. Yeah. Reel it back in. <laughs> yeah. Reel it back in. But yeah, I mean, I can't, like yourself, I, I would, I would want to help and I think I would. I, I don't think I could be a lifelong Superman fan and have read all of these stories and not have the takeaway that you, you would want to use these for, for yeah, good. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the core, I think, of all the best superheroes in different ways. Like with Superman, it's just he has this upbringing that has instilled in him these beliefs in doing the right thing and being welcoming to all people and helpful to all people. Spider-Man, it's responsibility. Batman, it's kind of like the weight of guilt, but also the need to do the right thing. It's 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 what makes these heroes resonate for us. It's like our modern mythology. But to your point, and I, I agree, I, I would do it in secret. And it's one of these things mm-hmm. where... We all recognize the division in the world, regardless of where you fall, what you believe, this this division. And there's a part of me that that looks at these Superman stories and looks at where we are and recognizes if if there were a way to show people, to, to unite people, that would be a beautiful thing. But I think there have just been too many instances where I think we could probably predict what would happen and how people would react. And, and I how- feel like it would be so politicized so quickly like it would just be would be depressing like so yeah i agree with you and especially and especially having families that's that whole other component where yeah whether whether you call it you know fear or just caution or or whatever or practicality it's like yeah i wouldn't want to expose my family to that so 
you know, it's, yeah. I wish I could say, no, I would do what Superman does and I would be this symbol to the world. But it's like, no, I, I, I think just realistically that that wouldn't play, but I think something akin to what this character does where, and of course, you know, we haven't talked about why he wears the costume. It's this like, which I think was, is great. Yeah. This great touch of if anyone sees him and tells people it was someone in a Superman costume, they would laugh him off. Right. Yeah. It was a great little twist. And uh, one thing that I thought they did really well was the uncertainty, like that initial uncertainty in that first chapter. He's like, I don't think anyone's taking my picture. I don't think anyone knows what this is, but I also don't know how I got these powers and it could go away at any second. And that felt really genuine to me. And it didn't feel like something that superhero comics really explore like that uncertainty of like, Hey, this could go away tomorrow. Or, you know, I don't have all the answers. Like usually with superhero stories, like the characters are just established. Like you get the origin and you kind of zoom past the origin and then they go into the serial serialized kind of, you know, episodic stuff. Um, but this felt really, I don't know. I keep saying lived in and, and real, but, I loved it. And with Superman in particular, regardless of when in his journey and how he learns of his origins, he does. You know, he does ultimately yeah. get these answers, whereas this Clark doesn't really. At most, he gets this, uh, you know, this theory about these meteor strikes that hit when he was mm. an adolescent and that's likely the cause of this. But, you know, he's not given any real definitive answers and questions still remain. And as he gets older, the powers are fading. And, you know, there there is kind of a lot of uncertainty there. Yeah, and I think what I mean, I, I cannot presume to know what the creative team was trying to do, but it felt very much like a, a metaphor for life. Like sometimes we just don't know. We just don't know, and we have to keep waking up in the morning and doing the next best thing, and we don't always know why things are this way. And um, I felt, you know, it wouldn't work like in the main Superman book. Like you want to know where his or what his origins are. You want to know what, you know, what happened or what made this character that this way but in an else world like this you could be a little more esoteric and i think it, it, it has a lot more emotional impact for sure we've talked about you know really identifying with him becoming a father in the story i gotta say yeah. weirdly one of the one of the moments that that really got me was when his government handler is retiring and they have their final meeting and the agent calls him clark and of course Clark does a double take because yeah. he's thought he's been so careful. <laughs> and uh, Malloy is like, oh, you haven't been as careful as you thought. He's like, but don't worry. I wrote very little down and I destroyed what I did write down. And he's like, I have kids too. And the thing that got me most of all where he's like, I really enjoyed your books. Like, I'm glad I could finally tell you that. And it was just uh, such a nice moment. Yeah, that was really, really intense. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, an, uh, you know, it was done, Jam DeMattis did a similar take i don't know if you remember that in amazing spider-man 400 where you know you realize later on that it's not at may but in that moment it is at May, and she dies and she reveals that she knew he was spider-man and it's i remember as a kid just being like it's a gut punch because it changes everything it changes the dynamic and it just shows how much they care you know in this situation his handler cared enough to protect him to risk his job to protect this person that he'd come to admire which i thought was really heartfelt absolutely so, and I remember that uh, issue well. I, I got into Spider-Man with the Clone Saga. And so, you know. Oh, yeah. I have a lot of yeah, affection yeah. for that time. But that's one issue that I think most people would agree holds up and is, is, is a wonderful Oh, yeah, it story. still does. I, I mean, I was bummed that it was retconned. But, I mean, now Aunt May's back, so it's fine. Uh, one more question from Brian. He said, of the four issues, which one stands out to you as the best? And I think we've hit on that already. But he said, if mm -hmm. there was a fifth issue, what life point would you have liked to have seen represented? That's a good question. Um, 
I think selfishly, I would have liked to have seen either an extension of two or three, you know, those chapters of his relationship with Lois and just kind of coming into his own. And also the, I think maybe probably I'm leaning towards the parenting chapters, like learning more about just spending more time in that space. Cause I thought, I thought that was really well, well executed. Same here. That's, I mean, not surprisingly, that's, that's what I gravitate toward as yeah. well, because yeah. each in between each chapter, there was a time jump and it felt like there was a, a more significant one between three and four, right? Cause three ends yeah. with him holding the baby girls. And then the next time we, we pick up with them, they're, they're grown women yeah, there's so much you miss there. I mean, kids are changing all the time. Like, I, I look at my son and I'm like, how did you get so long? Like, what happened? Like, you, I just brought you back from the hospital, you know? Like, and my daughter is, they just keep getting bigger. So I feel like you could stretch that out and you could have done two volumes about just the kids and parenthood. And But, I mean, we're biased. <laughs> it's true. I think there's also something fitting about the fact that as we get deeper into the life, the time jumps increase as well. Mm-hmm. Right. There's, there's something that, that kind of felt fitting about that, but yeah, that's the one, that's the one area where if, if there were to be a fifth, <laughs> fifth uh, issue, that's where I would have yeah. wanted to see more of, of this Clark as a father. Uh, I, I think that would have yeah. been cool. You know, you mentioned again, his government handler, and of course that calls to mind Dark Knight Returns and, and Superman's role in that story, working, working at the behest of the government. And we did a whole episode on Superman as a government stooge in that story. How did you, how did you feel about it? And uh, well, you know, it, it's funny, I think as much as not to open up a whole can of worms, but as much as people yeah, yeah. talk about Frank Miller's take on Superman and does he like the character or not? Does he get the character or not? Reading a rereading Dark Knight Returns, I, I definitely had more empathy for Superman in that story in that mm-hmm. he not not unlike what this Clark does, it's a sacrifice that he's making in order to yeah. get the government to stand down and let the let them live and allow him to still be able to save people, even if it's under the direction of someone else and even if he can't operate as freely as he would like, to save some lives in that capacity is better than nothing. So yeah. I came to terms with that in in a lot of ways. And, you know, this is certainly more compelling, right? He's doing it for his kids and, and that, that mm. certainly resonates. But, uh, but yeah, that was definitely one of the things I was thinking of reading this. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. I would agree that I don't think Miller hates the character. I think not to get off on a tangent, but I think he kind of knows him particularly well. And that's his version of Superman. And, and yeah, having reread Dark Knight recently, I think, I think that take feels a little more genuine than maybe at first blush. Yeah, I think so. And I, I also have to say in the second chapter, as Clark is navigating this new relationship with Lois, I thought it was it was so effective how uh, how it played out in terms of him being, uh, you know, the government getting the drop on him and taking yeah. him to this lab. And just the, you know, going back to uncertainty there, you know, there's so much he didn't know about what was going on. And he's seeing these 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 dead bodies, including babies. And it was just, it was a yeah. horrifying, like just a horrifying sight. And I feel like, uh, the story did a great job of making you feel what he was feeling. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that was a great example of like a slow boil subplot. You know, I think comics today are great, but you know, the, the page count has gotten so tight that it's hard to really get like B level, B list, B, B plots and C plots going. But Kurt, you know, because he's got all this real estate, 50 pages a chapter, you know, he can kind of let things breathe. And so you have something that he plants in the first chapter pay off in chapter two or chapter three or chapter four. And that feels really well, like it just, it, it's impressive as a writer. Yeah. I have to say that was one aspect that uh, throughout the four issues or the, the, well, I mean, really from the beginning, but especially two, three, and four, this, this relationship with the government and you mm-hmm. know, being taken and then being more careful in terms of all of these measures he takes to avoid, uh, you know, being detected 
Uh, you know, and then to the point where, again, when the kids are coming and he realizes he needs to strike this deal and his first attempt doesn't go well, they once again attack and, and he has to, you know, he has to get out of there. Uh, but right. then he starts playing these pranks on them, essentially, right? Switching, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> nuclear arsenals from one ship to another, yeah. uh, you know, slipping Superman comics into the general's uh, <laughs> debriefing packets and, and things Just like that. Just to kind of show that he's there. Yeah, but that was a great, it was a great angle. And yeah. I, I, I enjoyed that aspect of it a lot. Maybe that because... You know, we've seen a relationship between a Clark and Lois play out and others. But this was something that felt uh, maybe more distinct to this particular story. And I really liked that. Yeah, it, it felt a little more grounded. I think, you know, I think every Superman story in the main continuity is going to have that push and pull. Like even, you know, especially when they're not married, like the push and pull of will they or won't they. And it's essential to like the moonlighting part of it. But this felt like since it was a self-contained universe and story, you could pull the thread a little bit longer and see what would happen, which I thought was, you know, we don't get resolution very often in superhero comics, especially like, you know, uh, from the big two, like you, you get the kind of idea of change and then things revert back because you have to kind of keep the status quo. But I think that's what people love about these Elseworld stories and what if stories that you do get the resolution, you do got to kind of see what would have happened and you kind of can play with things like this character can die and it's, you know, it doesn't really affect the main story, but I think readers want to experience that. For sure. Uh, you had mentioned before Creature of the Night. So Kurt's, mm -hmm. uh, again, spiritual companion to this with uh, John Paul Leon, the late John Paul Leon. And yeah. I read that for the first time a few weeks ago in, in advance of this. And uh, I enjoyed it. <laughs> again, not to, not to sound like a broken record. This was another instance where, and I guess I don't want to spoil too much because that is more recent, but... right. Uh, you know, this this whole same same sort of setup here. Someone uh, with you know the Bruce Wainwright, but th this was a kid who played who enjoyed that aspect, right? And, and yeah, kind of he was into, into it and was into it. But then, of course, suffers uh, the, the the same type of tragedy with his parents. And as the story unfolds, you see him start to conjure this this bat this bat like demon. And the whole right. time I'm reading the story, I'm waiting for the twist that there's not this demon that's out there. It's him, and he's had this kind of split, and he's great. And maybe that oh, would have been too obvious. I mean, like, that's the thing. Maybe that would have been too obvious. But that's another instance where I think it was a great story and well told. And, and I, I do recommend that to people. But as I was yeah. reading it, I, I guess I was thinking it was going to go one way and it went a different way. But, uh, but it was definitely cool to see the Batman side of this kind of story. Yeah, no, I, I really like that. I mean, the art was fantastic and, and the story was great. But I also, I think I bumped on that too. I was like, is there a twist here where you find out that he's just imagining this and it's actually is him? But then I appreciated it because I think maybe the, the Batman comics of Kurt's era as a fan did have that supernatural tinge to them. You know, they were less like, you know, when you think of Denny O'Neill, you think of like returning Batman to his dark roots, but there was also like supernatural elements to those stories that um, kind of went by the wayside in the eighties when Miller really brought him down to reality. And I, I, I really, I, I thought that was neat and um, I could be totally wrong in speculating that, but I, I found it, it wasn't enough. It wasn't a deal breaker. So I, I had the same thought as you. I was like, oh, it would have been interesting if that was actually him, but I, I still enjoyed it. And I think maybe the fact that we were expecting that, maybe that's why yeah, Kurt went yeah. in a different direction because it would have been, I think it maybe would have been too obvious. So in, in fairness. Yeah, what is it? You know, give readers, don't give readers what they want, give them what they need. Exactly. So even though Superman's secret identity, the Clark in this story is not s literally Superboy Prime, mm -hmm. but it's a takeoff right. on that idea. And like you said, you are reading this now in its entirety for the first time in 2023 after we've had 
all of the developments that we've seen with Superboy Prime in the comics and his villainous turn and in Infinite Crisis and beyond. Did you have any of that in your head as you were reading this? I mean, I know it's such a different take that maybe it didn't seep in, but was there any part of you that's like, I don't know if I totally trust this guy or <laughs> anything like um, that? I think it was actually refreshing because, I mean, I don't mind the Superboy Prime villain turn in Infinite Crisis. I think it's a very smart, like Jeff is very great at like, story mining like going back into comic book history and finding things that he can then reuse and tweak to to benefit the modern story so i wasn't opposed to that idea i didn't have like an emotional connection to superboy prime but um i did find this to be a kind of breath of fresh air to kind of see that this grounded reality-based superhero superman version doesn't have to go like grim dark you know yes yeah, no, I, I agree. And, and I think that's a testament to this story. And it's just, it's so funny, especially reading that introduction, uh, knowing how close we were to Superboy Prime coming back, right? And and kind of, yeah. ch- you know, changing the whole game and everything. But uh, yeah, it was only a few years away. Yeah, but Kurt was ahead of the curve with this. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I keep saying it. it, it he has this way of reimagining these characters that feels so tidy and smart. And, um, you know, I loved his Aquaman run. I thought that was really a smart way of rebooting a character that was really kind of mired in continuity. Um, it didn't resonate, like, in terms of sales, but I thought critically it was really good. And, um, you know, our quibbles aside, Creature of the Night, I thought was a really one of the best Batman books I'd read in a long time. Not too long ago on the podcast, we covered Camelot Falls, the story that he oh, did yeah. post-Infinite Crisis with Carlos Pacheco. And I think that's another one that I maybe totally fly under the radar, but you don't hear it talked about a lot. Although yeah. they are, I know DC is putting out a, a deluxe edition hardcover of that, which is great and well-deserved. And, yeah. uh, and it held up really well. I really enjoyed reading and discussing that. So yeah, I mean, definitely a big fan, uh, you know, big fan of his work for sure. Is there any yeah. aspect of secret identity that we haven't talked about that you want to, or that we'd be remiss you know, if I, we did I, I don't want, yeah, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't like spend a, you know, just really celebrate, the artwork. I feel like Stewart's art. It's. It's. I think it's easy on a critical analysis to get into the story mechanics and the characters, and um, but I think this. It would just be a completely different book if somebody else had drawn it. And I feel like he has such a feel for these characters. He has such an amazing storyteller. Like some of those p- splash pages, I had to really like stop and stare at because they were just. They felt like something you could frame and put it up in a museum. Like. Um, I'm blanking on who the colorist is. Um, I, I think he colored it. I'm going to double check oh, yeah. right away. Yeah. Okay. He col- he, yeah. So other than the yeah. lettering, uh, he did, which was, you mentioned Todd Klein earlier. He did everything. Yeah. It's an amazing team. Like Todd Klein is a legendary letterer. You don't need me to say that, but yeah, I think Stewart's it's, it's one of his best work of that era. And I would argue it's one of his best things ever. You know, obviously he continues to do great work now, but, um, just really, really, I, I can't imagine anyone else drawing it and, and having it be as successful as it was. And I, I still think it is an underrated classic. It, you know, that's an interesting thing. Cause I feel like, I feel like it pops up a fair amount on, on best of lists, but may, maybe still mm-hmm. not to the extent of some of the other heavy hitters. So yeah, right. I mean, if there's anyone who hasn't, again, I imagine people listening to this podcast have probably read it at some point, but maybe not. So if not, I would definitely yeah. recommend it. Or if like myself, you haven't read it in a long time, uh, you know, I mean, maybe dig it out. I mean, I think it definitely, though this is not, I know this is not the point, but again, knowing what we know of the Superboy prime of it all, it's just kind of, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's kind of an interesting, uh, you know, different take on that, on that kind of story. So I think it's interesting in that sense, but just more so for this, this yeah. very and human it'll definitely land. Story. Yeah. I'm sorry to interrupt you. It'll definitely land differently when you read it. Like you read it when you were much younger and now you're reading it as a dad and I'd read bits and pieces when I was younger 
and it just lands differently. It just has much more impact the older you get, and you kind of have more in your rear view um, to to experience. Absolutely. So we talked about your novel. Uh, is there anything else you would like to direct people to, particularly your comic book work? Yes, I did a Superman story in the um, Kal-El Returns Superman number one special, which came out late last year. Um, Fico Osio did the artwork, and it was basically it's, it's a series of short stories bringing Clark back to Earth in the wake of um, Dark Crisis, or actually right before Dark Crisis. There's that little moment where he gets pulled away at the end, spoiler. But um, it was so cool to just not only write Superman, period, but also write kind of an essential story that shows him interacting with Martian Manhunter, Wally West, uh, Naomi, and um, really kind of redef- you know banging the drum on what makes Superman special and what makes him essential to the Justice League. And that was a real, I was really privileged to do that. Um, in terms of new stuff, my new novel, Aranya, Spider-Man 2099, Dark Tomorrow, uh, came out on May 2nd, and it's a YA Spider-Verse story. It's a prose novel. Uh, it features the two main kind of Latinx superheroes of the Spider-Verse, Aranya, Anya Corazon, and Miguel O'Hara, who's the future Spider-Man 2099. Um, and they team up, and basically it's it's a story of learning from each other. Like a young hero is still coming up, and an older hero who's become very jaded what can they teach each other and can they learn it in time to save the universe from, from Judas Traveler, a deep cut clone saga villain. So, um, and in terms of comics, I just did an Avengers unlimited, um, four parter for Marvel unlimited. Um, I did a question story in uh, Lazarus planet. Um, uh, one of the Lazarus planet one shots with Clayton Henry, which was fantastic. And I feel like I'm forgetting something, but there's, there's more stuff cooking. I, I'm doing a night terrors, green lantern story focusing on Sinestro. It's a two-parter. And I've got a Return of the Jedi one-shot from Marvel um, coming out in July, focusing on Admiral Akbar. Busy man. Well, I love it. That's yeah. fantastic. Hope everyone will... <laughs> yeah, I should, I should keep a cheat, cheat sheet. Yes. <laughs> and social media-wise, where's the best place for people to connect with you? Uh, you can find me on my website, alexsegura.com, or on Twitter, at alex underscore segura. And I'm also on Instagram, at Alex Segura Jr. Awesome. I have a Facebook author page as well, if that's what you're into. <laughs> All the basics. Thanks so covered. much, man. Now, listen, thank you for, for coming on and doing this. I really appreciate it. Uh, audience, I thank you, as always, for listening. We are off next week for Memorial Day, but we will be back in mm-hmm. two weeks with our next all-new episode. As always, it's about what you do. It's about action. This show is part of the Flat Squirrel Podcast Network, home to Digging for Kryptonite, another exciting episode in The Adventures of Superman, Summoning the Zords, and My Comic Shop History, available wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review today. Sign up at patreon.com slash anthonydesiato for additional content. Thank you all.